My name is Christina, and thank you for checking into the Hunt for a Rid of Seas. This is a podcast where our guests and I talk about our original characters, the good, the bad, and the self-inserts. Guests, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, I am RJ. I play V the Vesk on uh, Cosmopunk Podcast. Uh, pronouns are, well, mine are he or they. Uh, my characters are they and they. Uh, I've already forgotten what further questions you had for me. <laughs> it's okay. And we are here today to talk about V. We are, yes. My Vesk. Oh, um, I was going to ask real quick because, uh, because V is from a Starfinder podcast, right? They are, yes. Okay. I don't know Jack about Starfinder. Would you be willing to do a brief intro to kind of like what Starfinder is like, how it is like, just like a little bit on the mechanics and maybe a smidgen in like the setting for your game? Or we could talk about that part later too. Oh, no, so I can give the, the I mean, the, the very, very, very simple, easy, brief rundown is it's, it's Dungeons and Dragons, but you're in space now. Mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically Dungeons and Dragons, which is Wizard of the Coast, had a kind of opposite game system called uh, Pathfinder by Paizo. Yes, yeah. And at some point, Pi- well, a couple of years ago, Paizo decided, actually, let's create another game system based on Pathfinder, but let's fast forward it a whole bunch into the future. Okay, okay. And we'll call that Starfinder. So it's kind of like a continuation of Pathfinder, but with also... Uh, so there's still things like uh, there's kobolds, goblins, like... Uh, wizards, humans, stuff like that, everything that was there. But mm-hmm. there's also now, because you're going out into the wider universe, there's new space space races, there's uh, like new settings, uh, magic still exists, but then now there's uh, technology that's improved to the point where it's like the whole Arthur C. Clarke indistinguishable from magic mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a pretty good way of doing it. And basically, in order to cover like any continuity questions they just invented this thing called the gap so there's basically a period between (laughs) between when pathfinder was and when starfinder was there is the gap which is just a big period of time where nobody has any idea what was going on like there's no records of what happened uh that nobody who's alive has memory of it and it's basically uh, paisa's way of saying here is a a big block of blank space go forth and create law like okay. set it up how you want it. You're not tied into uh, Pathfinder beyond as much as you want to be. Uh, which I what quite a like, concept. It, yeah, it's quite good because it lets you just like. So a lot of what I've done with V and V's backstory is just thinking, well, this would be cool, and there's no reason I can't do it because it doesn't have to directly follow on from anything in Pathfinder. I can just mm-hmm. I can just mm-hmm. write lore all day, and no one can stop me. And I'm yeah. on page fourteen of that now. That that is so refreshing <laughs> to yeah. hear, especially when there are so many. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say franchises that are like that are either like all timelines are valid, or are we have one canonical timeline and we decide what is and is not canon to it. And sometimes we're just gonna write out the whole extended universe, uh, name redacted. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But yeah, so, that is so nice to hear. 
I mean, it's, it's good because basically I I just thought, well, I started off with an idea for a character I wanted, which was V, which was mm-hmm. going through the, the base races you had available. You've got things like you've got uh, uh, you've got uh, the equivalent of lizard folk who are Vesk. So okay, thought, okay. Which is what I kind of went for. But you've also got humans. Uh, there's uh, a whole bunch of other new subspecies and they keep adding to it as well. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense. So you've got little uh, little mouse species called Yosaki, which again, because you're not really constrained much by law, mm-hmm. you can uh, like in our party we decided to just expand that from just mice to mice, rats, any small mammal. So you've got like possum Yosaki and otter Yosaki and all of that. Ooh. And then after we did that, Paizo were like, mm, "We're going to make an otter race as well." And it's like, mm, "We've already made an otter race, thank you very much." <laughs> so we just said there's two otter races, and that dealt with it. <laughs> Hey, you know what? It's space. Anything can happen. Yeah. I mean, we have a running joke that Paizo listens to our podcast and just takes notes because we keep making, like, uh, lore in our sen- in our setting. And uh-huh, then it turns uh-huh. up in Paizo later. And we're like, Paizo, <laughs> start paying us for this. I-, I love that. I love when my friends' podcasts do things and then the canon material from which they source is like, coincidentally, <laughs> we have also yeah. decided to do this thing that's in your friend's show. Yeah. Now, let's talk royalties. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so but, h- let's get into V. I want to hear about their backstory. I want to hear how you came up with your with their name because we talked about this before we started recording, and it's a very fun story. <laughs> yes, it is. So their full name is VOC Coronine. Uh, mm-hmm. Originally, mm-hmm. it was VOC Toluene, but then they married, so I had to find another. <laughs> thing to work into it so uh, basically i am a geologist and i do a lot of chemistry as part of my work mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. there's a group of chemicals called volatile organic compounds which always get shortened to vocs so yeah. when i was first coming up for the concept of the character and i was looking through all the different uh, species i looked at vesk and was like you get to play as an eight and a half or nine foot tall massive burly lizard thing that <laughs> as far as we can tell comes from a species that Seems to get into a lot of fights and usually seems to win them. So I thought, oh, it sounds like a pretty volatile species, like a volatile organic species. Mm-hmm. A volatile organic compound. I'll call them VOC. And then I shortened nice. it to V. And there then coronine and toluene are both just like uh, chemical compounds within VOCs and another subclass of chemicals as well. But that gets far too far into organic chemistry. But the butt of it is, <laughs> I wanted to make an organic <laughs> chemistry joke and just ran with it. Excellent. And it worked out. Excellent. I haven't I haven't done chemistry in like six years, but I can appreciate a good chemistry joke. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, beyond that, I, uh, I mean, when I was coming up with the character, I basically thought, mm-hmm. what would be fun to play? Uh, and that immediately took me towards like characters that tinker with things, because mm-hmm. just like in Pathfinder and Starfinder, you've got like. Uh, mechanics and engineer types you've got uh, like the equivalent of paladins and uh, magic users things like that diplomats all the different mm-hmm. uh, like obviously warriors and soldiers things like that so I went through all of them and I thought well things I like doing mainly I like doing engineering I like messing with stuff mm-hmm. so I might as well make a character that's based on that so I look, looking through all the different like groups you can have one of them is called uh, the mechanic class and their whole deal is basically, like, build your way out of trouble. Okay, okay. So, uh, okay, that sounds that sounds like a, a pretty good class to play. 
Mm-hmm. And on top of that, there's a, a correlation between if you play a Vesk, they usually tend to be mechanics or soldiers. So it's like, oh, okay, that works out as well. Yeah. And that was the first, like, seed of the concept for V. Uh, okay, okay. And, and then beyond that, I just sort of kept uh, thinking about things that would be interesting to have in a character. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, sort of working into backstory. Like, a, a lot of uh, characters I've played previously, I've made them sort of around my age. And I thought, what if I made a character that's, like, older than that? Like, someone in, like, mid-late 40s? Because you never really see... Starfinder character or like characters to in any tabletop character. Yeah, that that they're always young and fresh and stuff like that. And I was like, what if I made a character that's like older, more world weary? They've got some experience, but mm-hmm. they've also seen a lot of stuff. So, <laughs> so, so I sort of made them. I think forty-two years oldish, and nice. sort of had like they've had a job, they've been married, they're no longer married. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, and then then from that I started thinking, well, okay, so I've got a character that's basically on a spaceship with a bunch of other people. How did they get there? So then I started yes. diving back into, right, I'm going to create them a backstory that is so tragic, but also, like, <laughs> <coughs> comes up with a... I created this OC, they've lived for five minutes, now to make them suffer. <laughs> but, <coughs> Look, giving a tabletop character <clears throat> a tragic backstory is a time-honored <laughs> tradition. Exactly. And who am I to uh, not embrace addition? So, uh, I mean, I was just thinking, like, the character I wanted to play was sort of world-weary, like, mm-hmm. tired, but a bit... Well, not, I don't say crazy. Crazy is a mean way about it, but a bit... Uh, what's, the, what's, the, what's a nice way of saying doesn't really care too much about what people think about them or people's opinion of what they're doing, but with mm. better words... That sort of thing. Independent. So basically, uh, I wanted to get from this this character exists to 42 years later, they are... So the current Cosmopunk uh, podcast, which I'm on, which is with three three other people, Mm -hmm, is set mm -hmm. with... uh, Like, it's it's four people working as mercenaries on this spaceship, uh, flying around, doing jobs, doing crimes, doing merc work, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So... I sort of I had that as like point Y, which is where I need to get to, and then point X is V is born, and I just thought, what can I fill that with? That will explain how they got <laughs> from that point to that point. Uh huh. And also, like, explains why they're a mechanic. Yeah. So then I started looking into the backstory of the Vesk, which is a, a like a fairly interesting species. Okay. Because. It's basically they they come from this this like system of eight planets that are orbiting this massive blue star. Mm-hmm. Uh, each of the planets, uh, so the first planet was Vest Prime, which is close to the sun. And the backstory for the Vesk is they slowly expanded outwards to the rest of the planets in that star system. Okay. So like they develop the ability to go to space. They go to Vesk two, like the second Vesp, the second outermost planet, and they're like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, uh, this is pretty neat. We'll call this one Vesk two. <laughs> like, look at the next one along. It's like, oh, there's another one over there. Like, zoop out to the next planet. Oh, this one calls one Vesk 3. <laughs> and so on and so forth. <laughs> and so on and so forth, all the way to that room. But the issue is that uh, they have this almost complex where they believe that they were born to, like, as a species to, to own this part of the solar system. So they get to each Uh-oh. of these planets and they already have people, they already have other species on them. 
Uh-oh. <laughs> so, for example, they get to the, like, one of the, the planets that's occupied with this, this uh, species called Skittermanders, which are the... Have you mentioned uh, Stitch from Lilo and Stitch? Oh, nice. They are basically them, but with slightly more arms. Okay, okay. And uh, so they, they get to this, this planet and they're like, uh, Hi, uh, we're the Vesk. We come from that planet. Th- we, this is ours now. And the Skittermanders are like, Meh, okay. And they're like, what? Was like, yeah, I mean, we don't really have a structure of governments or anything, so cool, you can be in charge. Can we go now? And they just get on with their lives. The rest are like, oh, I guess that was easy. <laughs> so they're like, they're conquerors, but they're not really like, we're, we're here to enslave all your people and turn you into like some kind of outpost colony. They basically just turn up and be like, can we just have this? And most, most of the species on the other planets are just like, I mean, yeah, okay. It's very, very lazy diplomacy. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm very glad that it's not colonialism. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's, it's colonialism, but it's just like colonialism where the, every planet they've got to has basically been like, I guess you can be in charge because nobody's really bothered being in charge. We have no system of governance set up already. If you want to say that you're in charge, then fine. And okay. it's got to the point where they, they like took over all these, these planets all the way out to Vescate, and they're like... Okay, we have eight planets now, but this is kind of more hassle than it's worth, especially the some of the planets where, mm-hmm. like, it got to the point where they're like, we have this empire of planets and we don't even want some of them. We just took them for like a hundred percent completeness, and then it becomes <laughs> a sort of punishment if you're a Vesk and you get sent to like uh, some of the outermost planets. It's, it's seen as like a bad thing because, like, you don't really want to be there. The the people there don't really care if you're there or not. It's really boring, and you're just stuck there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but it does mean that they're, like, I'm not, uh, probably a slightly more aggressive species. And I've forgotten why I got into this. Uh, Talking about backstory with V. Yeah. So, so that was, like, a big influence, like... Uh, so I thought, well, a species that's going out and conquering planets like that, or conquering in finger quotes, they're mm-hmm. probably going to be fairly militaristic. And I started looking a bit more into the like the core rule book and looking through the descriptions for the Vesk. And it's like, yeah, okay, they're fairly militaristic. So a Vesk like V would probably be born and then immediately go to Vesk Military Academy, like get brought up inside this military, like this doctrine System. that's very enshrined in, like, you are a Vesk, we are conquerors, we are a strong species, you will... You'll live to your full potential in the Vesk military, and then you will go off and do great things in the name of the Vesk and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to think of how would someone like raised in that system turn out? Yeah. Because I suppose the other problem with the Vescarium is that it is a kind of a little bit of a dictatorship in that they have like a like an overlord called Dimitroth or something like that, and he's mm-hmm. just in charge, and yeah. he has like sub dictators that are on, in charge on the other planets. Okay. But, so it's like, how would someone in that kind of, raised in that kind of system, how would they like grow up and what would their perceptions be like? And then I started watching a lot of documentaries about North Korea. Just oh to my. Like, get, just to get an idea of what that might be like. And I was like, mm, okay, that's a bit too intense. Let's tone yeah. that down a little bit. <coughs> so I just came up with the idea of like, and then I remembered we have a queen. And I was like, oh yeah, we have a queen. So mm-hmm. I guess it would mm-hmm. sort of be like that, like... The head of the Vesk is like the queen. They're in charge, but they're not like... In, in charge, charge, in charge. Yeah. 
And and again, this is one of the great things about Pathfinder, about Starfinder, is that because the established lore is fairly laissez-faire and not super in-depth, you can do stuff like just decide, yeah, okay, the Vesk have a military dictatorship and there is an overlord, but mm-hmm. he's a, he's a semi-ceremonial... Gosh, try saying that three times. <laughs> a, yeah, a, a semi-ceremonial overlord who's like in charge but he has a council and there's like secretaries of state for various things and they're the ones who are really pulling the levers behind the scenes okay so <clears throat> v got out of that system was it by their choice or were they like i'm gonna say exiled <laughs> uh they weren't exiled so Basically, the way the way that I I have it set out is that so they go to military academy from a youngish age. They go up through mm-hmm. all the ranks of military academy, all the way up to like university level. They get a a doctorate in no, sorry, they get a professor. What's professorship called? Oh, they. Uh, I mean, just a professorship tenure. Is V tenured? <laughs> so they spend like the early part of their life basically dedicating themselves to designing starships because it's something that me as a real human has always thought would be pretty amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I like to live vicariously through my characters. So <laughs> Don't we all? Don't we so, all, RJ? So yeah, V is they, they spend their years like like their early years developing spaceships for the Vesk, like coming up with like all incredible ideas for stealth drives and new engines and stuff like that. And then they get headhunted. Because Oh no. In a good way. Or in a good way at the time. <laughs> okay. So, so they're they're spending their, their early years working at uh oh sorry, this is another quick thing I need to add. Uh, the Vescarium has eight planets, but because they're mm-hmm. a conquering species, they decided what we really need is an orbital death platform. And okay. then they built then they built an orbital death platform, as you do. Oh no. Uh, then it got destroyed in a war. <laughs> So then yes. they built an even bigger one. Uh, the first one was called the Conqueror's Forge. Uh, it got destroyed in a war against the Shirin, against the Swarm, sorry, which is another event that happens in the early Starfinder lore because Paizo gives you a bit of early lore just to set the backstory setting. And mm-hmm. and as a part of that, the Vesk get into a conflict with this group of uh, like insect species called the Swarm, which is just one giant hive mind. Okay. Uh, during that war, uh, Conqueror's Forge gets a little bit destroyed in the sense that it gets totally destroyed. Mm-hmm. So they decide, well, we'll have to build it and they, we'll have to rebuild it. So they build it again. They call this one Conqueror's Forge 2 because they are <laughs> inventive. And mm-hmm. uh, so like the idea I had in mind was that V gets shipped out to Conqueror's Forge. They spend their time there developing like uh, spaceships and stuff for the Vesk. Mm-hmm. And then a private contractor called Yuasa approaches them and says, okay. Look, we, we like the work that you've been doing for the Vesk at Conqueror's Forge. If we give you, say, lots of money, would you like to come work for us instead? And V's like, mm, I do like lots of money. So <laughs> they, 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 uh, they quit their job with the Vesk. They move to Yuasa Drive Yards, which is at the front of it, a... Uh, respectable public-facing company that just makes starships and, like, other boring things like cranes and shipping containers. Mm-hmm. But in the background, but... <laughs> they have a subsidiary called uh, uh, Yuasa 
uh, was it Yuasa Drive Yard? Oh, so yeah, Yuasa uh, Engineering is the main company. Yuasa Drive Yards is their little secret side project. Uh, okay. You, have you ever heard of a skunk works before? Uh, I have not. Is it something along the lines of like putting up essentially like a? Re- is it like this? This organization or group is is so obvious that it is distracting from what we are really doing? Uh, sort of. So this is another one of my real-life inspirations. Uh, during this, the uh, the later periods of, like, American history, there's a company called Lockheed Martin. And Lockheed uh, Martin yes. publicly made, like, aircraft and stuff like that. But then they mm-hmm. had, a, they had a, se- uh, a, a secondary division called their Skunk Works, and their skunk works is basically their their blank slate. Here is lots and lots of money. Make amazing things. And uh, in real life, this this company just developed all sorts of like record setting aircraft and yes. like yes. satellites and things like that. And that was another big inspiration for how I see the uh, like the Starfinder universe. Because if you think about it, there's all these different corporations that are now starfaring corporations, mm-hmm. and lots of them are going to have secret skunk works where they're just paying like engineers from the brightest points of the galaxy to just go off and make batshit stuff that will make them money in the future yeah yeah but you're also in a universe where there's magic as well so you've got people there doing like technological research and development you've also got people there doing magic research and development so mm-hmm. you like find new spells and develop new things like that yeah this this company sees what V was doing at Yuasa uh, at uh, uh, Conqueror's Forge for the Vesk and says we'd like you to come and develop stuff for us. They offer V a stupid amount of money to do it, so they're like, of course, yes, I will come work for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they basically ship out from the Vescarium to Yuasa uh, Drive Yards, which is because obviously you need to keep something like this secret. You're doing secret research and developing weapons testing yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. So the idea has there's just a a planet hidden out in the furthest ranges of space with an asteroid field surrounding it. And they've just linked a whole bunch of these asteroids together to make a giant ring. And they they just kept building out from that and building out from that and adding docks and adding warehouses and like uh, shipbuilding stations, testing stations, weapon testing platforms, all of that. And they've just kept building onto it and it's just grown and grown into this massive orbital ring around this planet. Okay. Okay. But because it's in an asteroid field in the middle of, uh, like, nowhere, nobody's really looking for it, so it stays nice and hidden, and nobody comes to look at what they're doing. Because Which I'm assuming is a good thing. It's a good thing, because within Starfinder, there is the Starfinders, which is the Starfinder Society, mm-hmm. and it's basically a collective of space cops, essentially, and they're, ah. they have various divisions and they're tasked with basically keeping things in check across... Okay, I just realised I'm going to have to explain a bit of backstory lore as well. So <laughs> uh, this is this is uh, the thing. Because I've, I've spent so much time around this, I keep forgetting that when you're like explaining this to someone who's not had any interaction with Starfinder, there's a lot of lore that mm-hmm. is... A lot of lore that you got to front load. <laughs> exactly. So... Early on in the Vesk history, when they were busy having fun taking over the other eight planets in their star system. So essentially, during the Vesk's expansionist period, they came up against 
the other species that were living on other planets outside of their star system mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. had a little bit of a war about it because they 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 kind of started to want some planets <laughs> where the people that were already on them were like actually no this isn't this isn't your star system bugger off and the rest mm-hmm. and the rest were like mm, we kind of want this planet though and there was a war it lasted quite a while in the end i think they called it a stalemate and in response all of the planets yeah. that the vesk had tried to invade plus a few more gathered together and called themselves the pact worlds <clears throat> okay and they set up their their own security council that they called the starfinder society and that has various different uh, like branches to deal with different things like there's the exo guardians who deal with like outside threats there's uh, there's other ones that deal with like diplomacy between worlds and all of that stuff mhm mhm and the exo guardians in particular do not like it if you build a secret research and development facility to try out <laughs> illegal weaponry and research into dark magic and building yep. spaceships that can turn invisible or turn the things outside out, inside out and stuff like that that is all very much against mm-hmm. the law and it's written down against the law and underlined twice so <laughs> so, uh, so Yuasa Drive Yards is kept like in this this planet that's very far out of the way it's encircled by an asteroid field so nobody really goes near it the planet itself is a gas giant there's nothing of use down there no one's going to go out there to look for it Mm-hmm. Makes it a great mm-hmm. place to build a secret uh, skunk works. So yeah, uh, V gets contracted out there. They they basically just mm-hmm. get to work. They start developing starships. They uh, they I suppose this is the turning point in a, in a sense because they've gone from raising a military dictatorship. Everything is to serve the dictator to. I'm now in the deepest, darkest echelons of capitalism. Everything is to serve the bottom line. (laughs) Yeah. And as part of that, they start turning a blind eye to some things. Like, if you imagine you're you're living on this giant orbital platform, you're you're working on your projects, but you get a sight of what other people are doing with their projects as well. So you might go over to Mm -hmm. one of the areas that's dealing with magic and like have a chat and see how they're getting on and yeah you might some of the stuff they do is morally nebulous like it'd be like it'd be like going into a pre-vietnam war era uh like weapons testing platform in america and seeing them like tying out flamethrowers and be like hmm what are you building that for a thing that shoots fire (laughs) that doesn't seem like a very ethical weapon no it doesn't does it (laughs) and then you pretend you didn't see it So, in a sense, V is having the time of their life because they're, they they have an unlimited budget. They're getting to build things they've always wanted to build. Uh, their department's making money. Everything is fine. But at the same time, at the back of their mind, there's just the nagging feeling that at the same time, this company is building doomsday devices. <laughs> that, like, they're expending on the sort of magic that kills lots of people or destabilizes world economies. Mm-hmm. V's conscience in the back of their head is just like banging on a pot with a spoon. Exactly, it's like uh, V's conscience is like it's like the, uh, the the two people on the shoulder. One of them is like, uh, "What you're doing at the end of the day, you are serving. Whilst you're not developing like weapons that kill people, 
you're serving a company that's developing weapons that kill people and other sorts of nebulous stuff. You sure you're right with this? And then on the other side, the guy's like, look at your last paycheck and look at that awesome spaceship you built this morning. Don't fuck this up. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so they're kind of like having this, this two minds kind of thing going on where everything is great, but at the same time, maybe I'm selling my soul to the devil for... Lots and lots and lots of money. Mm-hmm. At the same time, they also meet their wife, who is another Vesk who happens to be working on the space station at the same time called Luca. Yeah. So one of the things I say, V, because when I was designing V, I I was looking at the backstory for like, well, the morphology for Vesk. And mm-hmm. the morphology is basically, they are massive hulking lizards with like spikes all over their bodies and massive lizard tails and no real sexual dimorphism so a male vesk and a female vesk are like a male dwarf and a female dwarf you look at them they look the same unless you are a vesk Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i was thinking well i could i've played males before i played female characters before i don't really have to choose either i'm just going to make them non-binary there you go there you go and the more i thought about it the more like I felt this actually fits quite well. So then I just made V mm-hmm. the they. Nice. And yeah, however, they do have a wife. Because uh uh yeah, the the, the two aren't mutually exclusive. So I was thinking, mm-hmm. okay, they're they're living on this mm-hmm. this orbital base with thousands of other people. Like they they're gonna come across someone else and like yeah. almost inevitably, spend enough time with that many people in a closed environment, you're going to find someone. They're going to make friends, and you're going to make relationships. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 So yeah, the, uh, they they meet uh, another vest called Luca, who's like one of the uh, the base maintenance staff. They they talk, they spend time together, more and more time together. V makes yeah. other friends, but eventually they they get married to Luca, and. Uh, they, they they just get more comfortable and more happy. It becomes easier to pretend that they aren't working for like an evil corporation when yes like, they have like a loving relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it all gets messed up for them. <laughs> <clears throat> oh no! Because uh, I mean, whilst the base is nicely hidden out of the way and nobody knows about it, the more you do some kinds of research and the more you do some kinds of weapon testing the more your chances are of being discovered which yep. <laughs> which is exactly eventually what happens to your acid drive yards uh there's a a team on there that's working on a project to attempt to uh, like create mind control so they're using a oh, combination no. of uh magic and uh technology to try and cause people to want to do certain things without realising. And originally it was developed for advertising purposes, because of course it was. They tried it out on a nearby planet uh, outside of the of the uh, Yasa Drive Yards. Like, just wanting to try and get people to, uh, like, vote... Uh, I can't remember what it was. It was either to uh, buy a certain thing or to read a certain thing. However, they make a massive miscalculation... And they cause an entire city full of these people to just fly into murderous rages for no reason. Oh no. Yeah. And of course, this attracts a lot of attention to them. Because, 
like you could explain people just going out and buying a certain thing is like yeah. nobody notices when an entire town or an entire city almost full of people all decide to start going to murderous rages getting to fights with each other like mm-hmm. uh essentially it their cover is blown and they know that <laughs> the exogai the starfinder society immediately is like what is going on over there that's not hmm. normal they start an investigation. Uh, the people at the main Uasa Engineering, all of a sudden, they are absolutely panicking because they've gone from, <laughs> we are the masters of the universe, we have a secret base no one knows about, we are developing really cool stuff and really cool weapons, really cool technology, to, oh no. To <coughs> running around like chickens with their heads cut off. <laughs> yep, oh no in all caps. And in their panic, they do the only thing they can think of doing, which is to scuttle the base. Just cover their own tracks, burn everything. And all the research that isn't in the cloud. (laughs) And all, not all the research, luckily, because they still have that, but all the people, all the equipment, everything, carte blanche, torch it all, pretend it never happened. Jeez. Which is where we get into that I like to make my OC suffer. And this is the, uh, the dark part of the dark backstory of V. Oh no. Whereupon... V, of course, and everyone else on the base has no idea that this is about to happen. They don't even know that this test has gone wrong, except for maybe a couple of people at the higher up levels of the department that was dealing with that project. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, they're just going to work as normal. The internet isn't working. That's a bit weird, but okay. Like, uh, home base, yeah. uh, the, the main Uasa engineering, they're, they're not responding for some reason. All the supply ships, for some reason, have turned back. Like, that's a bit weird, but I'm sure it's just a glitch or something. And then two massive warships turn up and just lay waste to the base while people are still on it. Because oh, no. in Yuasa's mind, the easiest way to deal with this is just to completely destroy the base and everyone on it, and then nobody nobody can talk and they'll be safe. Which, except... Except they weren't exactly as thorough as they could have been. Because... Whilst they do cause catastrophic damage to this base, they kill almost everyone that was working there. And that's that's a lot of people. That's, like, at its height, there were thousands of people working there. During the period when this happened, it was down to several hundred, which is still a lot of people to murder, just to cover your ass. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, this is galactic capitalism, so... Yep, capitalism. Yeah. never uh, cat- Capitalism is never a victimless crime. Uh. As a, as, like that's another undercurrent that I didn't realize had worked into this until like I wrote out these entire backstory. And was like, wow, like doing everything to serve money really makes people bad sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then I kept it in there because it just felt realistic. But <laughs> <laughs> so essentially, uh, the, the these warships they lay waste to this entire base. They they take out almost everyone that had been living on there. Yeah. V survives. Luca does not. Oh, no. And they'd been married for quite a while at that point. So this obviously absolutely devastates V. Yeah. And were it not for the fact that they needed to immediately come out with a way to get out of this situation, because obviously they're trapped on this burning, destroyed base, like uh, the the, the reactors Mm. that power it are are either destroyed or down... uh, like, the yep. actual hull of the base is torn 
torn to pieces in tons of places. They're on basically a sinking ship with two yeah. massive warships orbiting to pick off any stragglers. And they yeah, need... You... <laughs> You can <clears throat> grieve when you're not on a floating, burning death trap. Exactly. So, uh, luckily, they're still V, so they immediately start thinking, well, this is a fine pickle I've got myself into. How do I get myself out of this? They collect mm. together uh, a group of uh, seven other stragglers from various other points yeah. of the base, people who've basically survived, and they start like taking stock of what they have, what equipment they have, what resources they have, and then they form a plan to get out of there. Uh-huh. So V V had basically, as one of the like the heads of like a department for Starship Engineering, had been working a line of vehicles called like a, the, the Leica class starships. Mm-hmm. Which is a reference mm-hmm. to uh, Leica, which is the first dog in space. Nice. And they so they're they're looking around, they're thinking, right, we haven't got any escape pods. We've got maybe oxygen for a couple of weeks. But we do have all these starship parts, and we were manufacturing starships until yesterday. Why don't we just build a ship and fly that out of there? Yeah. So over the course of like the next couple of, uh, of weeks, they basically take all the scraps from all the bits of starships that they had been building, make them work together to form one starship, and they call that one the Leica 7. And that okay. basically becomes okay. the starship that the Cosmopunk like uh, adventures that are currently going on are set on. So nice. this ship just becomes like a running corollary with V from that mm-hmm. point onwards. But mm-hmm. they they build this spaceship. They uh, they they make a, a daring escape past these warships, <laughs> just about make it out of there, and oh no, and get away. No, there's no I know. Oh, okay. Oh, well, you said you said just about make it out of there, and he's like, oh no. Uh, I mean, they, they make it out of there. <laughs> the ship takes some dings. They they weren't subtle about it, but they escape. And then, of course, the question becomes, well, what do we do now? Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've like of a group of hundreds of people that were working on this thing. There's there's seven of us left. Uh, we obviously yeah. we can't go back to our jobs. Like, what do we do? <laughs> so, yep. And they, they decide. Well, we can't really. Well, I guess the only thing to do is to try and like get some justice for this because this this corporation has just like killed off loads of innocent and semi innocent people just to mm. cover their own ass. They can't yeah. keep getting away with this. So they formulate yeah. this plan to catch the uh, the people that were running Yuasa Drive Yards and Yuasa Engineering, which is this group of like administrators who they're the sort of people like corporate bigwigs who see like something like Yuasa Drive Yards as numbers on a spreadsheet, and it was generating a positive number, and now it's become a liability instead. So they just need it to be removed from the Excel spreadsheet, and that will cause an end to it. No concept, <laughs> no thought to the people that are on there. Like it's all it's just, just good business. Exactly. It's uh, I was thinking of the East India Trade Company scene from uh, <laughs> from Pirates of the Caribbean now, where it's just like it's just uh-huh, good business. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But it's exactly that. It's it's everything is done to from at, at Uatta. Everything was just done in service to the bottom line, and 
if you need to do a test that involves the potential for some people dying, so be it. If you need to, uh, like, develop a weapon that's probably going to be used for immoral purposes, but it'll mm-hmm. make money, then so be it. Like, every- yeah. everything for money. So these these administrators, they basically just sacked the base, like, wrote off everyone on there, had their warships orbit to pick off anyone they thought might, might be left, uh, went to bed and slept soundly, because in their mind it's a solved problem now. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. they're, they're sad about the loss of the, the profit that that base was turning, but they're not going to go... They're not going to get caught by the Starfinders because there's no evidence anymore. Like, in their yeah. mind, they've got away with it. Meanwhile, these survivors from the Rasa base, including Via, like, they're not going to get away with this. We're going to catch them all, and we're going to turn them in. Like, we're not going to do this for revenge. We're going to do this, and they all agree this. We're going to do this, like, for justice. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So they come up with this incredibly convoluted plan to... Uh, <laughs> to to get these these people all in the same room together and like capture them all and they managed to pull it off oh they they managed to they managed to get all these people to retreat to uh like their secret meeting room where they talk about things in person and then hijack the entire meeting room by towing it away with their ship hey you know what if it works <laughs> yeah they actually catch those people they bring them on and they're like right we're going to turn you over to the starfinder society and then V locks the rest of the crew, the survivors, out of the ship, uh, or out of the uh, the cargo bay of the ship, and then immediately just executes every single one of the Uasa Drive uh, Yard's admin. Yeah. Because up until yeah. that point, they've been doing this from the perspective of, I'm just doing what I need to do to survive. And then as soon as they've got these people in their grasp, they're like, actually, no, I don't want justice, I want revenge. Yeah. And they get their revenge, but it's bittersweet, because... It doesn't bring Luca mm-hmm. back. It alienates no. it alienates them from everyone else. That uh, all the other survivors, like their only real friends that are left in the world, they're yeah. they're all, of course, they're horrified because you said like we were doing this not for revenge. Specifically, you said we were doing this for justice, and you've just gone and like proved that you're no better than them in some ways. Yeah, and they. Essentially, after that, the rest of them just the rest of the survivors just turn their back on V. They they leave V alone on the spaceship, and just to stew in their thoughts for quite a long time. Like the V spends pretty much the next several years after that point just alone on that spaceship, just thinking, "I wish I hadn't done that." Mm-hmm. Like about how it wasn't worth it, and how they've basically like alienated themselves from the rest of their friends, like. They do, They end up just like collecting junk and trading and selling junk for money because all of the yeah. cash that they made is, of course, locked up in Uasa Drive Yards and they've got no way of getting that yeah. money anymore. Is this a good point for me to ask about uh, the others in V's crew for the Cosmopunk campaign? Like, yes. what are their interactions like? So, luckily, how, like, how do they meet up? <laughs> uh, luckily, this brings us pretty much to the point where they meet the rest of the crew because oh, so uh, V V is spending some time alone on this on the on the Leica Seven, just collecting and trading junk to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. They happen to be uh, like in a section of empty space when they're intercepted by a group called the Aslanti. And without getting into too much detail, Aslanti equals space Nazi. They're a group of humans that are uh. even more like conquery than the Vesk, uh, but without any of the uh, like laissez-faire like 
we're conquerors, but we just want to be in charge versus we're conquerors. We're going to, they are the, we're conquerors. We're going to take you over and Mm -hmm. make you servers and all of that bad stuff. Yeah. So V's hanging out in space. They get captured by the Aslanti and they get chucked in a jail cell with a little Yasaki otter called Ryder. Okay. Who was also captured by the Aslanti earlier. Uh, I mean, they're, they're both stuck there together. They decide that between them they need to find a way to escape. V's like, I have a spaceship. And Ryder's like, well, I'm very, very small and stealthy. So together they figure out a way to break out of this cell, get back to their ship, get to the Leica 7, and like they manage to make an escape. And that's the yeah. first new crew member of the Leica 7, and that's uh, that's Ryder that's played by one of my friends, Cypher. Yay! And new friend. Yeah! So, I mean, it's the first time that V's actually like had someone that's a friend since Uasa, so... They're a little bit crazy, yeah. they're a little bit like socially awkward, but like mm-hmm. they become friends with Ryder, and Ryder's like, well, I mean, I'm not doing anything better, I'll, I'll, I'm a good pilot, do you want me to pilot your ship for you? And V's like, yeah. you know what, yes, it's time I made friends again, how would you like to work on this ship? <laughs> Equal partners, 60-40, and... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so that's how uh, Ryder gets brought onto the crew. Uh, while nice. They keep doing salvage just for money because it's like decent money at the end of the day. Yeah. And it's easy and it's off the books because obviously V at this point has done capital C crimes. So they need to keep a low profile. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're junk running. They happen to be like browsing this like unex- relatively unexplored area when they come across a pod that's just drifting in space. Okay. And they take a look inside it, and there's a... Uh, so at the time when we came up with this character... Uh, well, when... This is uh, Ty, the second character the, on the Like 7 crew. And this mm-hmm. is another one... Another, when we're talking about uh, how uh, we come up with ideas, and then they just happen to become canon shortly afterwards. But... Uh, <laughs> so the person that was playing uh, Radar, who's the second character, wanted to be Excellent. a dog. Uh, like a, a human-dog anthropomorphic hybrid type thing. Mm-hmm. So they came up with a concept for it. They called them the Emultron, and uh, that all that. And then a couple of weeks later, uh, Paizo announced a a species yes. of dog-human people. Yes. And I can't I can't remember what they called them, but uh, we were like, oh, well, that was awfully convenient timing. But I, <laughs> uh, so we, we start with the Emultron just because we we'd already like come up with canon for it at that point. But uh, yeah. so they they find this pod just with this uh, this half half cyborg half dog man like in a coma inside it. Defrost him, wake him up, and it turns out he's been stuck in that pod for thousands of years. And, oh no! And uh, I mean, yeah, he wakes up. He's like, "Well, shit, I'm thousands of years out from when I was a minute ago. I guess I'll work for you as well." <laughs> <laughs> And then finally, there is Baphomet, yeah. who is the fourth crew member who becomes the ship's captain uh, by dint of nobody else wants the job. And she's the best at talking on the comms. So her backstory was in brief. So uh, basically, Baph worked for a corporation that uh, was basically like a media production company. And they had all these starlets that, uh, like pop culture icons. Yeah, yeah. 
Influencers. <laughs> yes, exactly that. But it turns out that this company's actually just been cloning the same like consciousness over and over again, putting them into new bodies and using their talent to create new music. And then when that music gets old, they retire that person and then uh, they bring like the same consciousness into another body to create a fresh new genre and run off that. Oh, no. And they've basically been keeping these people trapped in this system for all this time. Bath manages to escape from that. And uh, so Bath is a, yeah. like, they're a, they're, a, they're an android, but they're a kobold android. Okay. And the, basically the body they're in is like a, a kobold android, sorry. Uh, they managed to escape from this system. And yeah. they're like, well, like, I used to be a me- like a pop culture star, but obviously that's like, that's not a thing I can do anymore. So they joined yeah, the Legacy yeah. group. But because they're so, so personable and they've got like the highest diplomacy and like they're the most charismatic, uh, the rest of the crew is like, you know what? We're just going to make you captain because like you're the best at this. <laughs> we need a team face. Yeah, exactly. And she she becomes the team face. And that's essentially how the entire Lyca 7 crew comes together. Nice. And beyond that, it's, uh, yeah, they, they go around, they get into hijinks adventures uh occasionally crimes not serious crimes usually <laughs> and uh yeah that's that's more or less the uh, the one hour whistle stop tour of v's life okay uh so i have i have one question that i always love to ask uh people especially people who bring tabletop characters onto the show uh which is what's your favorite thing that V and by extension the crew of the Leica 7 have done? Like, what's the most buckwild thing that maybe perhaps would would say, hey, person who is listening to this wants to go now listen to Cosmopunk? <laughs> uh, okay, so probably one of the, the, the strangest things they've done is uh, it's actually the first adventure that we recorded. Uh, it was for a campaign yeah. called Hydroph- Hydrophobia, which is the crew basically have been like doing a whole series of jobs and they need a break so they take a look at this resort mm-hmm. world and uh, it's essentially the idea is the entire planet is one colossal water park. Yeah. So uh, they're like, you know what? We need to blow off some steam. Uh, they, they like, uh, Ryder invites a couple of her friends onto the ship. Uh, they have like, mm-hmm. they get blackout drunk, start doing stupid things like uh, doing target practice out the side of the airlock and like seeing like how fast they can make the ship go backwards and stuff like that. They wake up the next morning. <laughs> they've all got colossal hangovers. Ryder and her friends are missing, and the sh- and the uh, the Leica Seven's like escape pod slash shuttle type deal is gone. Oh no! Uh, so they're like trying to get radar. They're trying to get Ryder over the comms. Can't raise her. Decide to go down to the planet's surface to take a look because it looks like she's headed that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're coming in to land. All of a sudden, all of the all the sh- all the ship systems just shut down, and the ship's just like. Drops like a stone. Uh, I mean, so in in the ship's like design, it's a uh, because at the, at the time I was watching Star Wars: The Clone Wars, the two thousand and three comic TV series, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and one of the things in that there's a type of spaceship that uh, lands on water instead of land, and I was like, that's really cool. I'm stealing that idea. The Leica Seven can do that now. And yeah. uh, so from that, the viewer's like, well, this entire planet's a water park. Why are we panicking? We'll just glide onto the water and land. 
So they're, they're yeah. coming down through these clouds, through these clouds, and then they get through all these clouds and like, oh, all the water's gone. This is problematic. Oh no! Immediately crashes, just, <laughs> just like, dry, crashes the ship into the ground, like, uh, oh no! Whoops! Decide to go try and find <laughs> Ryder, since yeah. like, well, we're stuck here now. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I'm going to do the very short crib notes thing because I know that you said you're short of time. But essentially, they find out that the water park was a front for the Aslanti who had discovered that the water on that planet was sentient. And what? Uh, so they, uh, basically, the, the 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 water park employees uh, and the people that ran it knew that the water was sentient. They basically just hired it as an employee. So like. Well, I mean, you're, okay. sent- you're sentient water and we're running a water park. Can you just do all the water stuff without machinery? And they're like, yeah, yeah cool. I-, I guess I work for you. Like, pay me and give me time off. <laughs> that's all fine. Until the Aslanti get wind of it. And they're like, water that's sentient? That would make a great weapon for our invasion roster of things, dastardly weapons to use on other armies. Uh, yeah. They take over... The uh, the place keep it as a water park water park on the face of it, but in behind the scenes they're they're getting this water to be a weapon for them, which it doesn't really like. So okay, it just so happens to decide to rebel shortly before Ryder goes down to the planet, thinking it's just a water park. Overthrows uh-huh. the Aslanti, possesses them all, turns them into zombies. Like kills off the majority of the things. Uh, like the the Aslanti were there. Ryder turns up like, well, what what exactly is going on here? It kind of takes over Ryder as well, but we get there just in time to like rescue her. We're thinking, Save them. Yeah, and by yeah. this time we've worked out the water sentient, and uh, like we're not sure if it's evil or not. So we're like, hi, you've kind of possessed our mate. She wasn't to do with the Aslanti thing. Can you chill, maybe? And the water's like, you make a persuasive argument. <laughs> and diplomacy plus one. Nice, nice. So beyond that, uh, yeah, V teaches this this water how to turn itself, like how to build a spaceship, <laughs> and then uh, it, it just builds its own spaceship and just disappears. Uh huh. <laughs> like hey, okay. I mean, all things considered, this is a good outcome. The water isn't working for the space Nazis anymore. We got Ryder back <laughs> with minimal brain damage. Uh, and now we've got... Just put a <clears throat> sign on the gate that says, Sorry, water park closed. Water on leave. Yeah, exactly that. Except when the water leaves, of course, the rest of the water... It, it, it takes a small piece of itself that's its core, but the rest of the water had just been hanging out in clouds around the planet. And as soon as this... Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as the, the sentient water, which I think we called Persephone? Uh, I think it called mm-hmm. it Persephone or something like that. Uh, as soon as as soon as it's off world, the rest of the water isn't being controlled anymore. So it just drops to the planet as rain, all at the same time, while the ship's still oh no. like just finished being repaired. So oh no. they're, they're just like finishing putting the last like little touches and getting the ship operational again. And this massive tidal wave just comes over their eyes. I was like, ah. <laughs> they get a they get a flash Come dance on. and water dumped on them. <laughs> but luckily, the dice being as they are, we made it out just before getting crushed by two billion tons of water. Wow. And yeah, that was the time that the Leica 7 crew made a powerful ally out of water. Nice. Listen to Cosmo Punk. <laughs> <laughs>
I guess then, uh, um, is there anything uh, that you wanted to go over real quick before we do the last question for today? I don't think so. I mean, uh, I think that's mostly... That's like the best summation of how these came about, or sort of what shaped V, and why they are the way they are, which is... I mean, the current way they are is... They're still an engineer, they still love to tinker with things. They're... Mm-hmm. They... They're a bit... Because obviously their wife is still dead, even though... They're, they're with a new crew. Yeah. They're happier. They're in a better place, but they don't have the same regard. Connection. For, yeah, they don't have the same connection as they did before, and they don't have the same regard for life as before. And that mm-hmm. that combined with their whole Vesk upbringing means that sometimes they do get a bit murder hoboy. Yeah, like they they're a bit too twitchy sometimes. So yeah. a lot of the way I play V is them trying to get over that aspect of their life and stop seeing everything as a threat and stop being like mm-hmm. so defend defensive towards everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. It makes for a good character. Uh so this is the part then where I ask you really ask question for today. Go on. If you are ready. So RJ, why do you love V so much? Uh, because I've put a lot of self-insert character traits into them like uh, loving to tinker with Mm -hmm. things not really taking things seriously a lot of the time because their personality Mm -hmm. like seesaws between deadly serious my wife is dead everything is terrible and just like general goofiness like Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. I I love just putting stupid goofy character traits in there like uh, they have a thing where they love mashed potatoes so the ship just has an entire (laughs) Like, like set of cupboards that's just stacked full of mashed potato that always ends up getting destroyed for some reason. Uh, oh no! Like, uh, so, like in real life, I've always wanted to own a camper van, but I couldn't uh-huh. afford one. Uh-huh. So in in Starfinder, I've just like found like the second that the GM put us in a situation where V could get a van, they're like V buys a van. Or I think they built it out of two vans, like smushed together, and then it became like Stanley the van, and it's it, it's just like every time we we complete a campaign, we get some some money. V spends it all on this stupid van, and they keep like making it faster and giving it racing stripes and paint job and massive wheels and stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, every time the GM like of because the way we do it is a rotating GM system, so I'll I'll run a okay. campaign for the other three, and then. Like, one of them will run the next campaign, and then the other one, the other one. And sometimes we'll have guest GMs as well. So we've had two campaigns where uh, we've had uh, guest GMs, like Fringecore, and uh, the other one was, uh, like, a two-person one. One person wrote the campaign, the other person ran it for okay, us. Okay, okay. And that, that's nice, because it means all four of the party get to play together. Because when it's one of us GMing, we just find a convenient excuse for uh, our player to not be around, and then the other three play while the person whose character is absent gems mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but uh see again once again i've got myself completely off topic but <laughs> uh yeah it's just uh, it's, it's things like that the, the, like things i love about the uh, uh i love that that the i got to design uh them as well so like, mm-hmm. I, I basically came up with all of their their uh, the feats and abilities in the game and thought how that would look yeah. in real life so there's an ability called frilled or there's a, uh, uh-huh. yeah, a really cool frilled, which in the game basically means your Vesk has spikes that are a lot bigger and scarier and gives you a plus 
one or two to uh, intimidation rolls. So I thought, mm-hmm. well, how would that look? Mm-hmm. So I gave this character like massive like horns all the way up their head and all down their back, and just like, yeah, this looks badass. I'm having fun with this. It, it's brought out the child in me and like coming back and designing an OC again. Yeah. And which is good. Yeah, it's it's it's. it's I think the the thing I like most about V is that I guess I get to do and give them things that I can't have in real life, like an awesome camper van and a laser space shotgun. And uh, they have a drone as well, because mechanics, uh, uh, when you create a mechanic character, you can either choose to have a drone, which is basically a small robot that follows you around, or you can choose mm-hmm, to augment mm-hmm. your brain with a, a secondary like uh, mechanical brain. So yeah. Radar is also a mechanic. He chose to have the, uh, the augmented brain, which is part of the reason that half his body is cybernetic. V chose uh-huh, to have uh-huh. a drone because I like the idea of having a familiar. So they've, yeah, they've got this yeah. this little uh, this little like robot uh, crow or raven that's called Flyby that became Fly Guy later on because everyone misheard it. And yeah, mm-hmm. they, they they just fly around and you can use them for support tasks. But I also gave them like they have a voice that only V can hear. Yeah. So V sometimes will just be having conversations with thin air. To apparently the rest of the crew. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. It's just fun stuff like that. It's, I just like playing a character where I can do stupid stuff and give them stupid things and make them excitable about stupid things. And it's just fun. It's very good. Yeah. All right. So thank you so much, RJ, for coming on today to talk about V. I loved getting to hear about them and the the wild world of Starfinder yeah. and Cosmopunk. Yes. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> you are very welcome. And this is the part of the show where you get to talk about places that you would, that you would like to be found on the internet and things that you want to shout out and or promote. Oh, okay. So I suppose I am contractually obliged to shout out my own podcast, which I'm on, which is uh, Cosmopunk. Oh, so the Twitter is at CosmopunkPod. And mm-hmm, then you can also mm-hmm. get them on iTunes uh, and other things. Again, you can tell I don't do the marketing for this because I can't remember which platforms <laughs> we put the podcast on. It's okay, uh, it's okay. Sa- it's okay. Da, da, da. Yeah, so Podbean, that's the one. So, yeah, yeah, so you can catch us on Podbean or on iTunes, uh, Yep, uh, I suppose I'll give a shout out to the rest of the crew as well. So, from the top. So yeah, there's uh, Side of the Box, who plays Ryder. Uh, at Stella Encore, who plays Baff. And at Tysirak, who plays Radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice. Yeah. Yes, I believe that is everyone that I need to shout out to. Okay, cool. All right, so um, I haven't done one of these in the in a while, but current events blast. Um, I try my best to keep Wayward as a positive space because I know a lot of people, myself included, uh, use podcasts to both distract ourselves from and to cope with a lot of the realities that we are facing. Um, basically, what it boils down to is things are pretty bad. Please do your best to get your information from unbiased or at least as neutral service or at least as neutral of a source as you can get. Um, especially when so much of at least 
American media is very polarized and it's important to be able to like, it's important to be able to understand what is going on and like see past the different, the different spins, whether that's positive or a negative spin. Um, in addition to that, uh, I, there's a lot of, there, there is an actual war going on in the Ukraine and I'm recording this on March 12th. Um, and it is, it is terrible. Uh, please support the Ukrainian people as much as you can. There's a lot of, there are a lot of information sources out there. Um, I will, I'm going to try to put a link to one of those like cards for information on supporting people in the episode description. And I'll also tweet that out when the episode goes live. But in addition, <laughs> it is also important to provide aid and relief to the countries and communities which are being affected by wars and colonialism that are not necessarily majority white or white passing populations. And I'm specifically here referring to uh, the bombing that the United States and other countries have done, I believe in Libya, among other countries. Uh, all, all of this is also just like, call, call your political representatives, um, support, support trans and queer kids, especially with all the passing of those stupid, stupid bills through various state legislatures. Um, also call your representatives about that. And there's, there's organizations that you can donate to as well. Um, one of them, I believe, that I remember off the top of my head is Trans Lifeline. Um, COVID is still a thing. I know that in some places, COVID cases have been dropping. Um, but please, please, please continue to wear your mask if you have not been vaccinated and are eligible to. So that's not like having a medical concern like chemotherapy or pregnancy. Like, if you have not gotten vaccinated, please, for the love of God, get vaccinated. And wear your mask. I know that we've been we've been handling this for so long. We've been dealing with this for so long that it's it is tempting to just, you know, like burn your masks and run off into the sunset. But please do not do that because we are never going to if we don't wear masks and get vaccinated and protect our communities, we are never going to see an end to this COVID pandemic. So take the measures that you can to help public safety and to help, please take measures that you can to help public health and safety, encourage those around you to do so as well if they are not already, and please take care of each other. <laughs> okay, current, ev current events blast is over. The Home for Rainbow Doses is a part of the Corner Podcast Network. We can be found through Acast and your local podcasting platform of choice. And if I'm not there, let me know and I will see about getting there. Our theme song is Violet by Poddington Bear, courtesy of the Free Music Archives. We can be reached at waywardocpod at gmail.com or at waywardocpod on Twitter. If you would like to talk about Wayward or the other Corner Podcast Network shows, we have our own Discord server. Uh, there should be a permit invite on the show Twitter accounts, but if it's not there, let me know 
and uh, or you can message one of the show Twitters, and we will get you that invite. Uh, and I am always looking for guests to talk about their original characters, so if you or someone you know might be interested in talking about their OC on the show, please feel free to either send me a message at the show Twitter or through the show email, or I also have a Google form that is the pinned tweet on the Wayward Twitter account. Uh, it just has like questions about like availability and character concept, that kind of a thing. And as with all podcasts, it is always incredibly helpful if you can uh, subscribe to us on your listening platform of choice and tell a friend, because it helps us to find a wider audience and to brighten more people's days. So thank you all for listening. This has been Home for Red OCs, and we hope you enjoyed your stay. Mine is like a really old tad that I bought in the shadiest way possible, where I basically had to go to an airfield at close to midnight, and <laughs> the guy the guy just took me to like a hangar and just opened it up, and it's just stacked full of computers. I'm like, am I buying a crime computer? Did it come with free drugs? It didn't even come with free drugs, but it's it's just like it's such a bizarre experience to go in there and he just like rummages around the back and just brings out a bunch of computers it's like yeah choose one it's like wait which one did i bid on it's like oh, they're all the same I'm like cool i'll take i'll, I'll adopt that one i guess and then he <laughs> yeah, like ushered me back out of this airstrip and just, like went off with the computer. but it's been the best computer i've ever owned because oh, almost a decade later it's still cracking on Hi, I'm TV Youth. And I, I'm Anthony Sheets. And we are the co-hosts and co-GMs of Moon Harbor Heroes. Moon Harbor Heroes is a Masks, A New Generation actual play podcast. Masks, A New Generation was written by Brendan Conway and produced by Magpie Games. Moon Harbor Heroes is being styled after actual comic lines, so we're going to have multiple lines of comics. Our primary two are Faces, which Anthony GMs, and Cataclysm Crew, which I GM. I'm looking forward to doing occasional smaller lines, limited run stuff every once in a while. Absolutely. Uh, some characters in our bigger series will get solo lines, or at least solo episodes, or small group episodes, that kind of thing. There'll be spin-offs, and there'll be... Uh, crossovers. Crossovers, and all sorts of things like that. And the first issue is going to be coming to you on September 2nd, so here pretty soon. Uh, until then, if you want to get a hold of us, uh, you can email us at moonharborheroes at gmail.com. And we're on Twitter at moonharborcast and on Facebook at moonharborheroes. I can be found on Twitter at Icy New Year and T can be found at T Huth Playwright. I think that's about it. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we can't wait to bring these exciting heroes to a podcasting app of your choice. See you soon. Bye.